Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. I wanna thank you for joining us for week three in our sermon series called Gear Up. We are focusing on Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 18, and we are talking about the armor of God. Week one, we talked about knowing your enemy. We need to understand who are we actually in battle with? Because oftentimes the people we think we are in conflict with actually isn't the culprit to the real issues that are going on right in front of us. Week two, we had talked about the first piece of armory, which was the belt of truth. We talked about put on the belt, gird up, that we are supposed to know the truths of God that's found in the Holy Scriptures that is embodied in Christ Jesus that's manifested in the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now we're going to the second piece of armory, so for me, if you have watched any of my sermons or you've been in church on a Sunday morning, you know that I played college football. And so the beginning of every college football season, we had to go get our equipment. And there are so many pieces of equipment on a football uniform that really kind of go hand in hand with what Paul is talking about. Armory, protection. I had said this, that we are given armory to protect us and advance us. So let me get a piece of armory from my old football days. Here are shoulder pads. And so these shoulder pads are given to every single football player. And the reason they're given to a football player is that it is to give protection and padding on the shoulders of the football player and on the chest of the football player and in the back of the football player so that as they go out and play football, that they are able to advance forward. Parents, you do not send your child to go play football to learn to get hit. That's really bad parenting. Matter of fact, as a football player, I love to hit. That was the one thing that I love to do more than anything else. And I am so glad that I was given protection and armory that when I ran at someone and hit someone, that I was being protected as I was going to tackle them or block them. And so what we're going to talk about today is the breastplate of righteousness. And just as the shoulder pads are given to a football player to protect certain areas of that athlete, so is the breastplate of righteousness given to us who are followers of Christ. So let's pray together before we read the passage of Scripture. Father God, I want to thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to preach this day. As we are here delivering the message that every home that this message will go into will be given to them to inform, to equip, and to empower them to live the victorious life that's found in Christ Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 18. And we're gonna read the whole passage together. Finally, strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I want to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the purpose and its design, and then a very important fact that we are going to dive into today. First, why was a soldier given a breastplate to put on before they went into battle? Last week, we had talked about that the belt of truth was girded around the core, the waist, which protected some of the most vital organs in our human body. There's only three organs that the the belt of truth did not protect, the heart, the lungs, and the brain. And so the breastplate was given to a soldier to protect the chest area of the soldier. The breastplate would go from the shoulders, cover the shoulders, all the way down to its thighs. And I had talked about last week how the two, the belt and the breastplate, would clip in together, giving a full frontal and backside covering so that if there were arrows, spears, swords, daggers, they would be deflected. Matter of fact, they were also given a breastplate that if they were run over by a chariot, it wouldn't crush them. And so the heart... And the lungs are being protected by the breastplate, not only in the front, but in the back. And it's the same thing with shoulder pads for a football player. Not only are they given shoulder protection, but there is a protection in the front and the back to protect the heart and the lungs. But the breastplate in military ancient Roman times went all the way from the shoulders, covering the shoulders, all the way down to the thighs. Now, there are two different forms of the breastplate. One was made up of just sheets of metal that would just link in together. And the other was more of a chain link that connected and they wore it almost like a shirt. And so it was really up to the soldier to decide which one they wanted to wear. But both covered the whole chest, the whole back, and would go down to the thighs. And both would link in to the belt, the important fact, and I think this is something that, that I've never heard spoken of before until really diving into studying the armor of God. And as a pastor and, and being a follower of Christ for, for over 20-something years, I've studied this passage time and time again. But there's one interesting fact that I've learned over the last several weeks, is that soldiers had to purchase their armory. Let me say that again. Soldiers had to purchase their armory. 
And so when a soldier was called to battle and they had to go into the equipment room, the, the armory room where all the weaponry was, they could only take the weaponry and the armory for that which they could afford. And so think about it. What was some of the most important pieces of armory that a soldier had to purchase? And I know that this was one of those pieces of armory that every single soldier would purchase. Why? Because without the breastplate, it left them vulnerable. And they left that, that one organ, the heart, the most central part of our being, it left, it left it vulnerable, unprotected. Now, why is this so significant? One, because the heart is what is central to who we are and what draws us to God and what God uses to draw us back to himself. I know if you've been at the plant, I've talked, about, I've talked about the definition of the heart multiple times. We actually did in the spring a whole sermon series on the sower and the seed. And the soil was a reflection of the heart. The heart is so important to God that over 826 times it's talked about in Scripture. So I want to give you a quick definition of the heart. The heart is defined in Scripture in three different ways. Our emotional bank. Do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus said in John 14, our intellect, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. Why do you reason these things in your heart? And then there's another definition, a person's will. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And so it's so hard for us to define the heart because for a soldier, he's just thinking it's a, that vital organ that just pumps blood throughout the body to allow it to live to have life but when we look at scripture when we look at God when we look at the armor of God we see that the heart is what is comprised of our emotions our intellect and our will and I believe that if we were to really stop and see the definition we can see this to be true at one point in scripture, it says, do not let your heart be troubled. Why is your heart troubled? Why is your heart troubled? Well, what's troubled? Your emotions? Because something happened that you've been processing? Or maybe there's been a conflict with your will. That which you did not want to do. But I think this is important for us to understand. The heart is the place in which we can hear the gospel respond to the gospel, and live out the gospel. And this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else. So think about the importance of armory, the breastplate of righteousness, that is to protect the heart. Solomon wrote this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And so we see this piece of armory and how the piece of armory is supposed to protect that which is central to our humanity and to our relationship with God. And that is the heart. 
the breastplate. And so it's called the breastplate of righteousness. And so when we talk about the breastplate in military terms, it's made up of either two things, bronze or metal. That's what the breastplate is made up of. But how does Paul define what the breastplate of spiritual armory is made up of? And he defines it as the breastplate is made up of righteousness. So, so what is righteousness? It's justice. The quality of being upright, fulfilling the expectations set in a relationship. And when we think about righteousness, we have to think about it in two different spheres of relationship. First, how we live in relationship with God. And second, how we live in relationship with others. And that's what I want us to do right now. Talk about righteousness in our relationship with God and then talk about righteousness in our relationship with others because when you look at the cross of Christ, you see two different beams. One, our relationship with God and two, a beam going across. In other words, metaphorically speaking, our relationship with humanity. And I believe now more than ever, talking about the armor of God and even specifically this, this day, talking about the righteousness that we are supposed to live in and we are supposed to have is extremely central for us as a church to be thriving in a world gone wrong. And if you've been following the news, if you've been alive if you've been following our sermon series, you know that we have been speaking broadly on all of the topics that are going on. The virus, the political unrest, the racial tensions, the global circumstances with, with things that are going on in the world that we're not even really talking about. What's going on in Armenia right now? A war is going on in other countries. A war that people in our church are thinking about and praying for, for the Armenian people. In the midst as they have been living for, for over a hundred years in a place of oppression. How do we live in a right relationship with God so we can live in right relationships with others? I love what Priscilla Schreier, how she defines this whole idea of righteousness. She uses three simple definitions. Perfect righteousness, comparative righteousness, and imputed righteousness. You see, perfect righteousness says that we have to be perfect before God. We're not allowed to make mistakes. God is perfect, and therefore, I have to be perfect. But this is what Romans 3.23 says. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. It is impossible for us to be perfect. We never will, and we never can. The only time that we will be in a place of perfection is when we stand before God in the heavenly realms. But until then, striving for perfection is impossible. Second is this idea of comparative righteousness. And I love how she really talks about what comparison is. That we are setting standards for ourselves and for others. How good is good enough in view of God? See, here's the problem with comparison or comparative righteousness is that it's ego-driven. And when we don't live up to the standards of others or ourselves, here's what we do. We live in guilt and shame. 
It says in Judges 17.6, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's what comparative righteousness is, is that we do whatever is right in our own eyes. It's like we talked about last week, relativism. There is no absolute truth. That's what the world tells you. But with God, there is truth. There is absolute truth that's found in him. But then there's a third form of righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness that we as followers of Christ hold on to. It says in Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Because of what Christ had done on the cross, he had taken our sin, he had taken our unrighteousness, and he put it on himself. And now, because of the work of Christ, we are credited as righteous before God. Not because of what we do, but because who we are as sons and daughters of God. I think it's so important for us to remember this, that we are given a new identity. The moment we come to Christ, we are no longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners saved by grace, and then we said yes to Jesus, and now we are called sons and daughters of God. And God accepts us because of who we are. And now who we are allows us to live in this right place with God and also a right place with others. So this is what we need to learn to do. How do we learn to walk in this righteousness, this right place, this just place with God? We put on Christ's righteousness by taking off our old nature. It's like a soldier going to war. They change for battle. They take off their their civilian clothing and they put on their armory so that they are ready to go to battle. And it's the same thing with us. that When we come to Christ, we take off our old nature, our old past, our old ways, our old thoughts, and we do what Scripture says, that we are becoming and made into new creations. We are made new and then we become new as we walk in the identity of who we are as sons and, God, of sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. We take off our unrighteous, unholy, sinful nature and we put it away. We throw it away. And we clothe ourselves with who we are as sons and daughters of God. That we are given a new way to think. And in our thinking, we have new behaviors and new actions. We see a transformation as we walk with God. It's much like playing football and you're learning plays. You're going to make mistakes. 
You're going to hit the sled wrong. You're going to tackle wrong. You might even twist an ankle. But what you're doing is you're practicing. You're learning. You're learning how to be a football player. For a musician, you're learning the guitar. It's like going to a child's recital. The, the, the most beautiful time is during a, chill, a child's recital, whether a musical recital or a dance recital, and they mess up. We know how hard they're trying. We know how bad they want to be perfect. But years later, they're playing. They're dancing. They have flow. It becomes first nature. Our nature in Jesus becomes our first nature as we put on the righteousness of God by changing the way we think, the way we act, thoughts into action. And how does this happen? Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We just don't say as a church, hey, give your life to Jesus. We say, when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit, will live in you and indwell in you that you would be able to experience the fullness of God and live in the covering of the righteousness of God. And so there's two things, remember. First, righteousness deals with us and God, and then us and others. Orthodoxy is what we believe about what is true of God. Orthopraxy is how we live out the truth of God with others. And so if we want to be righteous, we need to understand how do we learn now as we're walking in this transformational relationship, as we're learning orthodoxy, how do we now believe and behave orthopraxy in a world gone wrong? 6-8. And I believe now more than ever, this is what the church needs to embrace. This is what he, God, the Lord, requires of you. Do what is right. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Do what is right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And so here's what I want to do just over the next couple minutes. I want to flush this out. I want to just put this out there. Because I think we love the idea of talking about our relationship with God, the righteousness of God. We realize that we can't be perfect. We, we realize we can't compare ourselves to others. We realize that righteousness only comes in Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus in our lives. But how does this flesh out? How do we flesh this out? How do we really put this out there in such a way that the world sees that Christians and the church is the hope of the world? Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I. I believe that. So how do we flesh this out? First, we flesh this out, that, that character that honors God and does not honor, dishonor you or others. Let me say that again if I just said that a little bit sloppy. Character that honors God and does not dishonor you or others. What do I mean by that? When Jesus came to give us the Holy Spirit, he brought about change. 
He didn't come to make us better. He came to change us, transform us on who we are, how we behave, how we act, and how we speak. There are multiple times in Scripture that I talked about this term blameless. And Noah was talked about as being blameless. And Job was found blameless. And multiple times we see in Scripture about these men, these individuals, that as people looked at them and tried to find fault in them, that their lives were a reflection of what they believed true of who they are in light of God. When you have transformation in Jesus, your character will change as you journey in Christ. Character that will honor God and will not dishonor you or others. That's what righteousness is. Living in a right relationship with others. Second, actions that mirror God's heart even in places that are godless. Actions that mirror God's heart even in places that are godless. I can't tell you how many times men and women will talk about their workplace, their places of work. And now they say, Rob, you don't understand how, how people cheat and lie and steal. It's so godless. It's so confusing. It puts me in so many compromising situations. When you put on the righteousness of God and you allow God to transform your character, you see how these are beginning to connect? We're going to connect the dots, and your character is changing. Your actions mirror God's heart in a godless environment. Example, Daniel was basically a statesman. He was a person that was put in political power. And like both Noah and Job, the people tried to find blame in him. And they couldn't find blame in him, so they tried to find blame in his religion. And so what Daniel had done is he had lived a life that his actions mirrored God's work in his life as God was transforming his character. You see, people are longing to see the gospel. It's not about Pastor Rob or Pastor Andrew, or Pastor Jeremy, standing up and preaching the gospel. We preach, we proclaim the gospel, so that you will embody the gospel, so people will see the gospel in your neighborhoods, in your places of work, in your homes. But there's a third thing about righteousness, and what God is wanting to do in us and relationships with others. And this is now really bringing it down to current events, Standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Justice. I had used that word justice in the definition of righteousness. That we are supposed to do that which is right. In a world where injustice takes place, we stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Whether it be the hallways of a junior high to the streets of the inner cities, to the global oppressions of those who are under the regime of evil powers, the church, we are called to stand up and speak out for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Yes, I love what Kelvin Walker had said this week, that we need to be involved in good trouble. 
We need to step into places where people are being dishonored, where people are being treated unjustly. We are supposed to do the work of the gospel. We saw that with Jesus, how he, how, he dealed with, how he dealt with the oppressed. We see that with Moses, how he stepped into a place where there were injustices going on with the people of Israel. We are called to stand up against the injustices that are happening all around us. And you know where it begins? It begins right in front of you. And so if you are a junior higher or you are a high schooler, stand up. Stand up to that bully. Do not allow people to be bullied. Do not allow people to be pushed down and oppressed. Stand up for what God stands up for. You want to act like God? Stand up for others who cannot stand up for themselves. And so lastly, and let's follow the thread. First, righteousness begins with a changing of our character that we do not dishonor ourselves or others. Second, it's our actions that are being lived out every single day in our places of work, in the places of play, and just the everyday of what we live in. Third, it's standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. But fourth and lastly, stepping in to help those who cannot help themselves. Mercy. We need to show mercy for those who need mercy. Those who have limitations in their resources or circumstances. We are told by Jesus' brother James in James 1.27. You want to know what true religion is, plants? That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is what true religion is. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We need to step in for orphans and widows, those who are living in a place of distress. When we look around our communities, whether it be West Milford or Mawa, and we are seeing people who have limitations, we as the church need to be able to step in and be the mercy, the grace, the righteousness of God. We live in a right relationship with God where we step into those who have limitations and provide for their needs. I just want to throw something out there, and I, and I told the staff I would probably do this. Right now, in, in some of our communities, and we're just going to talk about Mawa real quick. There are so many kids that are home learning or doing the hybrid learning, and they're given a Chromebook. But the dilemma is not having a computer. It's having internet. Their families can't afford the internet. They can afford a, a roof over their head or, or food on the table, but they actually cannot afford having internet in their house. What would it look like if we, the church, identified 50 families who needed internet provided for their kids to learn, that we had 50 families in the plan say, hey, for one year, we're going to commit to giving to these families $50 a month, $57.99, that's what it costs, that they would be given internet in their homes. That's being the hands and the feet and the presence of God, helping those who are limited with either resources or circumstances. And here's the problem with the church, or problem with the human nature. 
We like to blame why, why these things have happened to these individuals. We don't know people's stories. We haven't heard their stories. We haven't sat down. And even if some of these stories are, are because of poor choices, we all fall short. We all sin. We have all made mistakes. We, the church, get to be the reflection of the love, the truth, the compassion of Jesus Christ. And so, church, I challenge you. If any of you want to help a family in need, call me. We'll figure it out. Righteousness is what you do because it is a reflection of the God who lives in you. Righteousness is what you do because it's a reflection of the God who lives in you. We put on the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ causes us to advance forward. And so how do we end this? What's our takeaway? What's our application? I think the first part is the, was the one interesting fact that I talked about in the very beginning of, of this sermon. The soldier had to purchase his own armor. You see what the difference of between the soldier's armor and our armor is we don't purchase it. It has already been purchased for you. 1 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We don't purchase our armor. It is given to us as a gift so we can live the victorious Christian life. You do not purchase it. You accept it. Second, we put on the righteousness Job 29, 14, this is what Job said. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. We take off our old nature. There has to be a point in our relationship with Christ that we see a transformation, a changing, a new birth that who we once were no longer is who we are because we put off the old nature and we put on the righteousness that's found in Christ. And I believe this church, that when you accept the righteousness of Christ, you will see things in your life miraculously shift and change. You begin to not think the way you used to. You begin to not behave the way you used to. You, your emotions become good and balanced and even pure. Imagine that. Emotions that, that lead us into a way of being balanced and whole. And even the way we think of others, the way we treat others, is done in purity more than selfishness. The third, our breastplate is given to protect us from the enemy's attack. I love what it says in Daniel chapter, chapter 6, 4, what they, what they said about him. It says, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful. People of God, always responsible. The plant church and completely trustworthy. That's what they said about Daniel. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. The enemy will throw lies at us. Jesus even says, they're going to persecute you. They're going to say all false things against you. But know this, 
I am with you. Our righteousness of who we are in God as we walk with God deflects the lies that the enemy and others throw at us. And lastly, Christ's victory is won in you and through you. Isaiah 54, 17, one of my favorite verses. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. God will vindicate you. I, the Lord, have spoken. We are vindicated in Christ. We win. You do not have to have your own back. You do not have to speak against the lies that people have spoken against you. All you need to do is live and walk and move in who you are as a child of God. Watchman Nee, one of my favorite authors, he lived in China. He was a pastor. He made a vow that he would never stand up for himself. He would never speak out for himself. And as, as others, as friends, as family members, as, as the church would oftentimes get frustrated and because his teachings were the teachings of Jesus, they would say false things about him. He would never defend himself and God would always redeem him. Even when the government went after him, he never vindicated himself when they try to shut down his church, when they try to shut down the churches that he was leading, he never stood up for himself and God always won. He always vindicated him. People of God, let God stand up for you. Let God speak up for you. Allow the righteousness, the way you live, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you, you're present in people's lives, let that be the power and victory that's found in Christ. We must remember that God has given us these pieces of armory that we would live the victorious Christian life. And so today, as we go into a song of worship, I think the most important thing that we do is we give our hearts back to God. God, I give you my heart give you my heart, my intellect, my emotions, my will. Teach me to, to take off my old nature and put on your nature. I want to be covered in you. And I also want to be protected by you. During this song of worship, I want to challenge you. Find a space in your living room. Find a space where, you're, where you are engaging in this video. And get on your knees and say, God, I give you my heart. And as you're on your knees and you're, and you're worshiping with this song, I want you towards the end of the song, when you feel so moved, stand up. And I want you to do another action like we did last week. I want you to, to visualize taking off your old nature and throwing it outside. And then taking the breastplate of righteousness and putting it on. Gearing up so that you would live the victorious Christian life 
to be able to know God and make him known. Let's worship together. I had talked about last week that the belt and the breastplate connect together. We do not look at these pieces of armory as separate, but as armory that is supposed to work together to give full coverance over our bodies, give full coverance over our our spiritual lives, to protect us so that we would be able to advance in who we are as children of God so that we would know Christ and make him known. I want to thank you for watching this today and know we are praying with you and we are praying for you that you would put on the armor and live out the victorious Christian life that's found in Christ Jesus. Have an amazing day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.